Hi, I'm Christine Roney. Welcome to the Roney Writes Podcast. The tagline for this podcast is, Let me tell you a story. Because that's what these recordings are about. Stories. I love to write them, and I would love to share them with you. This is Episode 10 of Where Is He in Ellie Bay Mystery. We are starting today with Chapter 13. So let me tell you a story. Where Is He? by Christine Roney. Judge Stevens was preparing his notes for the morning's motion calendar when his computer beeped with an email. He thought nothing of it when he saw that the sender was Zora, a long-time clerk at the courthouse and the widow of one of his colleagues on the bench. Just seeing her name reminded him of his late friend. He opened the email and froze. Someone had pulled the Vardari file. He had put in a request to be notified if anyone pulled the file almost seven years ago. This was the first time he had received an alert. He took a deep breath to steady his body and his mind, which had gone into a shocked turmoil. After he calmed down a bit, he grabbed his cell phone and tapped out a number as he walked to his office door and closed it. Wolf and Associates, a young voice proclaimed. Dennis Wolf, please. I'm sorry he's not in. Can I give you his voicemail? Sure. He listened through the message and then quietly and with a measured voice said, We need to meet. Ellie sat in the reception area of the Thompson and Brown law firm flipping through a magazine. She stopped on a picture of a woman parasailing behind a speedboat. That looks like fun. Maybe it's time for a vacation, she thought. She was daydreaming of lying on the beach, eyes closed, listening to the sound of crashing waves, when she realized someone was calling her name. She stood up, shaking off her vision of sand and sea. By the time she reached Barry Thompson's office, she had trained her mind back to the reason she was there. You said on the phone that you wanted to talk about the Vardari litigation. He shook his head. That's old news. The case came up in an investigation I'm doing. I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but I thought talking to you might help. What are you investigating? A missing person? William Shane? I don't see the relevance, but I'm happy to talk about the case. Although, you do understand that I can't violate the attorney-client privilege. Yes. I read the file. I'm curious. Why did you settle? It seemed like you had a good case. Barry sat back. You'd think, right? There was plenty of evidence out there in the world about the noise generated by turbines, the flashing of the blades called shadow flicker, the danger to wildlife, especially eagles, hawks, and bats. Then there's the vibration, and of course, loss of property value. But you see, we were trying to keep them from developing the wind farm in the first place. So we proceeded under anticipatory nuisance. And this judge, you'd swear he owned a part of the wind farm. I mean, he kept ruling against us. He granted the defendant's motion to exclude our experts. He allowed the defendants to get away with refusing to produce documents. And he said we didn't have enough evidence to depose some of the principles of Vardari. We couldn't catch a break. Did the judge have a piece of the action? Ellie asked. Not that we could find, so we couldn't get him off the case. 
Barry swiveled in his chair to the floor-to-ceiling windows behind him. Ellie sat quietly waiting for him to go on. He swiveled back. The defendants paraded out experts that the damage to neighboring properties and residents was greatly exaggerated, and the benefits to society at large with renewable energy outweighed any speculative harm. The judge scared the lead plaintiff into settling. So, well, you see the turbines out there. Did you know Jeff Brady? No. How about William Shane? Most people called him Billy. No. So how did this come up in your investigation? I got an email with a reference to a newspaper article about the settlement. Strange, he said. It is. Ellie started to stand up but then sat back down. Did you ever investigate Vidari? We did. And? It's a subsidiary of a subsidiary kind of thing. But the company that sits at the top of the family tree is based in Sicily. Pretty sure it's mafia-owned and operated. Ellie stared at him. Chapter 14 I traced the email to a library in New Mexico, Matt said as he walked over to Ellie's table in the loft. The music was loud and Ellie wasn't sure she heard him right. Did you say New Mexico? Matt sat down next to her so he could see the stage. Yeah. I had to call in some help, but we finally ran it down. Let's talk in the morning, Ellie said as Michael took the stage. So where do we go from here? Ellie asked. Matt took a gulp of his coffee. Good news and bad news. I'll be right back, Ellie said. After a few minutes, Ellie walked back to where Matt was sitting on the patio with a large cup of coffee and two donuts. She sat down. Okay, hit me. Good news is this particular library has an electronic sign-up sheet for patrons using the computers. It appears there are four computers. Matt looked at Ellie and shrugged. It's a small library. He took a drink of coffee. The bad news is, I pulled up the sign-up sheets for all four computers for the day you got the email, and none of the names are familiar, or lead back to Vardari as far as I can tell. I don't see how they can help us. Are there cameras? No. So we're at another dead end? She sighed and leaned back in the chair. You know, I was hoping that we'd find that it was Billy who sent the email. Billy, alive and well. I visualized telling Cat we found him. Matt nodded. That would have been great. He handed Ellie printouts of the sign-up sheets. She took them and headed back to her office. Matt and Sam were talking on the back patio when Ellie ran out. She had one of the sign-up sheets in her hand. Look at this, she said, laying the paper on the table. What? She tapped a name on the sheet. Augie Dupin. They both looked at her, not understanding. Do you remember Meg told us The Murders in the Rue Morgue was one of Billy's favorite books? Not really, Matt said, shaking his head. Well, she did. Anyway, the main character in that story was August Dupin. Oh my God, Sam said. Augie is short for August. It's him, Ellie said. Matt stared at the sign-up sheet, and then at Ellie. You're freaking brilliant. Don't say anything to Cat until we go to New Mexico and find him. 
I'm going to book a flight to Albuquerque. Allie, you can't just go and wander around looking for him. We don't know where he lives or whether he even goes to that library. He might have gone to one far away from where he lives just in case we trace the email. I have to take that chance. Look, if the mob is really involved, they may be watching you. Don't be paranoid. I'm not. I'm being smart. I'm going. Then I'm going with you. Me too, Sam said. No, you can't. If you're right and they're watching us, then they need to think I'm here, in the bookstore. So I'll book a flight for tomorrow, come to the store as usual, and slip out the back gate. I'll arrange for a taxi to pick me up a few streets over. You two run the store so no one knows I'm gone. I can go with you and Sam can run the store. No, I'm going alone. Ellie's stubbornness frustrated him, but he knew it was useless to argue. He threw his arms up. Okay, you win. The next morning, Ellie said goodbye to Matt and Sam and slipped out the gate off the back patio. As she walked to where she had asked the taxi to pick her up, she kept alert to anyone following her. She saw no one. She rounded the corner and looked for the taxi. It wasn't there. She looked at her watch. It was only a few minutes late, so she slowly walked down the block, certain that it would turn the corner at any moment. Halfway down the block, a car door opened and a man started to get out. Fear shot through her. She turned and started to run before he was even out of the car. Ellie! He shouted. She stopped and turned. Michael? On the way to the airport, Michael explained that Matt had called and told him what was going on. He didn't want you to go alone. He's a little paranoid. No, he isn't. After what he told me, you could be in danger. Isn't that why Billy sent you the warning? You should listen to him. But he's alive, and Cat needs him. Michael sighed. Then let's find him. That's the end of Episode 10. Come back next week for Episode 11. If you're enjoying this story, please help me spread the word. Tell your family and friends about the podcast and be sure to let them know that they can listen for free. You can also subscribe for free and by doing that, you'll automatically receive the latest episodes downloaded to your computer, phone, or tablet. Go to my website, ronywrites.com for more information on how and where to subscribe. Goodbye for now, until the story goes on.